Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers and make the world a better place, run with us. We are here and you are in the right place. Welcome. If you're keeping track, this is episode number 329 of a series we started back in October 2011. But who's counting? Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from, and I'll pronounce it the best I can, Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu, spelled in many different ways. He was literally the old master, an ancient Chinese philosopher, writer, and semi-legendary figure. I don't even know what that means. He's reputedly the author of the Tao Te Ching, the founder of philosophical Taoism, and a deity in religious Taoism and traditional Chinese religions. He, uh, During the Tang Dynasty, he was granted the title Supreme, Supremely Mysterious and Primordial Emperor. I I think two of our our panelists today might want to grab that title. I think it's very interesting. So here's the quote. Those who have knowledge don't predict. Those who predict don't have knowledge. Just let me let that sink in for a second. So what are we talking about here? Well, we all know we are living in a world with uncertainty, with a hectic pace. There is an unexpected nature of what's happening in the world, and there are a lot of unknowns. How in the world can you effectively predict the future? And the key word here is effectively in front of the verb predict. Here's a reality check. A convergence across many disciplines. We're talking science, technology, politics, society in general, economics, the environment, and a growing ethics discussion. This convergence has created a complex web that requires a type of system thinking that may be beyond what we as human beings can do. Okay, I said it. We may not be able to do this well anymore. Where can we turn? Well, machines. You've all heard of artificial intelligence, machine learning. What is going on with machines. Did they hold the answer? Can they predict the path of an overwhelming number of possible futures? Because that's what we're facing. I have two of my very favorite futurists on the show today, and I'm so happy that they accepted the invitation to dive into this conversation. Let's see where it takes us. So in a moment, I'll be introducing you to two regulars. They've been on so many times. One of them said it had been too long, and he was going through withdrawal because I hadn't invited him in a while. Frank Diana, a futurist, preeminent futurist at TCS, and of course, Grace Scott, futurist and the host of Futuristic. Now, gentlemen, welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you on with me today. We're just going to have a really fun conversation talking about machines in the future. So officially, the title of this episode is Tech Magic or hype? Can we teach machines to predict? And that's the question on the table. So let me start with Frank Diana. And Frank has sent us a quote from Richard Baldwin. Let me just read a little background here. Richard E. Baldwin, professor of international economics at the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva, or Geneva, those of us who know French say, president of the Center for Economic Policy Research. Since 2016, an editor in Choice editor-in-chief of Vox EU, which he founded in 2007. His most recent work is titled The Great Convergence, Information Technology and the New Globalization. And that's what the quote comes from. Here's the quote Frank has selected. We have a duty to think hard about what may be so as to better prepare society for the changes that may come. Frank, Diana, how have you been? I've been great. Thanks for having me back. 
Well, I'm delighted. I, I just sensed that the universe was telling me, call Frank, call Gray. It's been too long, and I think I was right. Frank, I love this quote from Richard Baldwin's The Great Convergence. And what's interesting to me is that the word may comes up twice, what may be changes that may come. So why don't you tell us about how this relates to our topic, please? Well, I mean, we're talking about predictions and our capacity to do so, and I think this is perfect, but it does talk about the fact that I believe we're in one of those tipping points in human history where we're actually lucky to be alive because we're going to witness some things that only few throughout history have been able to witness. So I really do think we're, we're lucky to be here. But because of the things that you mentioned in your monologue, the complexity, the pace, the uncertainty, uh, it's just a very difficult thing to do, to predict. And the quote speaks to the fact that we have to, at some level, understand and direct the future in a way that's constructive to society. And that's why I think it's really really relevant to the topic today. Thank you, Frank. And I just want to give a, a little in, insight here into the book, The Great Convergence. Uh, let me read the overview. From 1820 to 1990, the share of world income going to today's wealthy nations, nations plural, soared from 20% to 70%. That's wow. That share has recently plummeted. Richard Baldwin in the book, The Great Convergence, shows how the combination of high-tech with low wages, propelled industrialization in developing nations, deindustrialization in developed nations, and a commodity supercycle that is petering out. You agree with that perspective, Frank? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about that book is he's, he's really talking about the next round of globalization and where uh, economies like South America and Africa can actually participate in globalization through a number of technological advances. So it's, it's a really interesting take. Thank you very much. And now Gray Scott waiting patiently. And Gray has sent us a quote from Jeffrey Hawkins. I've never heard of him either. Born in 1957. He just had a birthday, June 1st. The American founder of Palm Computing, where he invented the Palm Pilot, and Handspring, where he invented the Trio, T-R-E-O. Reminds me of Oreos. <laughs> Gray, I just read that, and I'm, I'm on a diet, so I'm very hungry. Uh, he has since turned to work on neuroscience full-time. He founded the Redwood Center for Theoretical Neuroscience. In 2002, founded a company called Numenta, M-U-N-N-U-M-E-N-T-A, in 2005, and published on intelligence describing his memory prediction framework theory of the brain. Very interesting. So, uh, let me read the quote Gray has selected. Prediction is not just one of the things your brain does. It is the primary function of the neocortex and the foundation of intelligence. That's a wow quote. Gray Scott, how are you? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back. Delighted. Talk to me about this quote and, and uh, your your thoughts on Jeffrey Hawkins, why you picked a quote from him. Well, I thought I would reach I would reach out to someone who was really thinking about how the brain works because we're moving into an era now where our brains are going to be augmented with these machines. They're going to assist us in seeing the patterns and, and, and the secret sort of patterns that exist that futurists use all the time to make their predictions. So I, I really wanted to, to focus on how the brain works, how our brains in, in, intuitively make these predictions, whether that's, you know, dodging a ball or <laughs> any of the things that your brain, even walking, you know, there's planning that goes into every moment of your life. And that, in, it, in essence, is a prediction. Never thought about that, Gray. Interesting. Just something as simple as coming into my office in the morning, 
making those decisions. Will I move the chair? Will I move it to look yes. out the window? Which mouse yes. will I pick up, the one from my SAP laptop or the one from my Mac where radio lives? Uh, will I put my water on the right or the left? I'm thinking, I'm planning, but in a way, you're right, I'm predicting, I'm considering future possibilities of the choices I make. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, it is, and there's a great uh, internet, there's actually a couple of these really beautiful um, internet memes where you see a dog carrying a stick, and the dog is trying to enter a very narrow doorway, and these mathematical formulas come up because you can see that the dog is trying to figure out, how do I get through here with this really long stick and this narrow doorway, and suddenly it realizes it needs to turn its head sideways to, to progress through the doorway. That is what we do all the time, but we're just in a more, we're in a more advanced version of that. We're, we're constantly, I mean, think about dancers. Think mm-hmm. about all of the mechanisms that your brain has to accomplish in perfection to watch a ballet. I mean, that is, that is the biological form of prediction, and we're doing it all the time. Very, very interesting. You know, Gray, you always make me think in a different way when you come on the show. Thank you very much. You know, I always, I always feel a little bit smarter when I talk to you and Frank. Thank, thank you both for that. Frank, Diana, am I pronouncing your last name Frank or should I say Diana? I really need to ask you. Well, neither. If we were in Italy, you'd be saying Diana. Diana. Frank Diana is here with us. Thank you very much. After all these all these years, I'm going to try and sit up and fly right here. So, Frank Diana, I'm happy to have you here. Sounds like we have a new panelist. Frank, a couple of questions. You know what I'm going to ask. Well, a couple. Uh, actually, I'm going to ask three things instead of the usual. Where are you, and what do you love to drink? I'll ask those two questions. But what have you been up to in your work at TCS and in your position as a leading futurist? Give us a little a little catching up with Frank Diana. Right, so a lot of presenting. Um, the keynote workload has really grown, and that's really encouraging because I think what we're seeing is a lot more in the leadership ranks meeting and wanting to understand something about where the future is going. And so it's actually going really well in terms of just speaking towards uh, to this fact that the complexity, uncertainty, and pace is really going to shake up the leadership community at all levels, not just business, but society. And so that's uh, really been my workload over the last uh, several months. Very interesting. And now tell us, where are you and what do you love to drink? Or what's in your cup today if it's really fascinating? No pressure. <laughs> I am in my home office in New Jersey today, which is nice. Um, and actually, a story around what I'm drinking. I'm drinking uh, Kona coffee. And as I just mentioned, uh, I've been presenting a lot. I was in Hawaii about a month and a half ago on the big island with that volcano doing its thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to tour um, a Kona uh, coffee farm with my wife and we uh we got to taste test the coffee it was just great coffee so we brought a whole bunch back so i'm actually drinking that very good now do you brew it a special way is it a french press or is it a is it uh what i'll call raw coffee is it the beans and you grind them or what form did you bring and, and any recommendations on how to treat what shall we say high-end delicate beans what do you do with them it was the beans, and you do grind them. So we brought back the beans. And I learned something while I was on the farm, and I never knew this, but the, the lighter the coffee, the, the stronger the caffeine, and the darker the coffee, the more flavorful but less caffeine. So we actually brought back medium uh, roast. 
Interesting. Interesting. Okay, good to know. You know I'm not allowed to have caffeine on radio show days, but then you know why. So <laughs> thank you very much, Frank. And now let's turn to Gray. Gray, you have been very busy. You are now hosting Futuristic Now, a new techno-philosophy web series that covers relevant future-related topics, including techno-philosophy, robotics, AI, basic income, conversational computing, sex bots, mixed reality, VR and AR, wearing technologies, the singularity, digital consciousness, mind-to-machine technologies, and much more. Tell me a little bit about what all that means, Gray. What am I talking about here? Well, the the show itself um, is a a little bit of a derivative of the techno-philosophy field, um, which is becoming quite popular now, Uh, this movement of uh, philosophers and futurists, people who have those two things in common. Uh, and that's, that's, the, that's my jumping off point for the show. Um, we don't necessarily talk about gadgets uh, or, or specifics in that, in that area. What, what I'm really talking about in the show is the philosophy of technology, you know, what it's doing mm-hmm. to us and what the potential futures might be. Um, one of the recent episodes uh, that I was it sort of surprised me because, you know, I, I make these and then I go back and watch them and it's like watching someone else because when the final product is done, you learn from your own art. And, and one of the things I thought was so fascinating recently was the idea that in the future we might have um, a continuity of memory issue when we spend a lot of time in virtual reality and, and those sorts of things. What happens if the machines start to alter our our, the continuity of our memories, replacing our memories, adding new memories, erasing memories. And so that's just one example of the, the depth of, of where I go at the show. And uh, the feedback has been amazing. I mean, I've gotten, you know, I always learn from people that watch the show too. So they send me emails mm-hmm. and just brilliant insight from the viewers as well. Gray, where can people find your show? Is it visual? Is it on YouTube? Is it just audio only? Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find it on my YouTube channel, which is YouTube slash Gray Scott Future. And uh, it's easy to find if you just search on YouTube for Futuristic Now. Um, there are, I think we have nine episodes out. And I did all of the, the, the music, the editing, everything is pretty much me. Uh, so they're 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 hard to produce, and it takes me a while to produce each one. But it's it's a labor of love, and it's just been really fulfilling to to pursue this this project. Excellent. And now, are you in New York today? And I know you're on your way to Italy to a villa somewhere to have a good time. You told me that because we invited you to something special hosted by SAP, and you said you're going to be out of the country. Can't be in two places at once, but maybe, Gray, you can. I don't know. It's, it's, with you, it's very possible. You may have the secret to that. Frank, I'm, I'm never sure with Gray. But, Gray, what's your favorite drink these days? Anything futuristic you want to share with me? Yeah, so I've been using this meal delivery service, uh, Daily Harvest, and they they do cryogenic food, and um, it sounds high-tech. It actually is kind of high-tech and futuristic, but um, they make these really amazing smoothies that that have, like, avocado and oatmeal and blueberries and strawberries. They're they're delicious, and I've... Research the cryogenic uh, food market. It's really interesting. So when you when you open the cup, there are all these individual tiny little pieces that get frozen individually, 
And supposedly it's more nutritious than some of the food you get in the grocery store, the, the fresh produce, because that produce has been you know, on, on a truck for three weeks or it's been in delivery route for three weeks, whereas the cryogenic food has been frozen right after it's been picked, so the nutrients get locked in until the moment that you heat it up or, or put it into the smoothie. So it's, um, anyway, that's what I'm drinking. <laughs> Interesting. Now, do you have a flavor? Do you get to pick the flavor? You said there were ingredients in different cups and, and they come alive. Uh, I'm looking here at um, uh, 72 best cryogenic diet images. I, I don't know if this mm-hmm. is a diet. Here, new food product, shelf-stable smoothies boost energy levels. It's at foodprocessing.com. And here's one, deep freeze. Does cryotherapy really work? That's different. Uh, cryogenic engineers in Madison make ice cream using liquid something. Fruit, fruit. Yeah, I don't know if I should look at that. That's AIAL.com. <laughs> anyway, is there a flavor to it or do you create it? Well, they, so Daily Harvest has uh you know, they have soups, they have uh, bowls, like harvest bowls, they have smoothies. So they're, I think right now there are around 100 different um, combinations, and you basically pick those and have them delivered. I, I usually get them. Oh, I was getting them delivered um, weekly, and then I moved it back to monthly uh, because I was traveling. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, when you look into the, the science behind it, it's really interesting the flavor is unbelievable. You know, you're, you're getting the micronutrients that you would get if you were picking it out of your garden because it gets frozen, flash frozen right after it's harvested. Interesting. I'm, I'm looking at a website here that says, watch cryogenic engineers in Madison, I assume Madison, Wisconsin, make ice cream using liquid nitrogen. Is that the process we're talking about here? Uh, I'm not sure. I think what what's happening with the the cryo frozen foods is that they get processed into very small bits. So when you open up these bowls, each piece is maybe the size of like an M&M and each piece is frozen individually. Uh-huh. So the problem that I, you know, I read up on this once when, when I got interested in this and the, the, the issue with fr- fr- freezing food before was that it would clump together. Uh, it would explode the um, individual cells inside of the, let's say, vegetables, and so it would get mushy. None of these are mushy. So, it, so it, for example, if you have a piece of kale that's frozen in the, in the Daily Harvest cup, it is once you heat it up, it, it is just as fresh as when if you would have just picked it. So it's, the process is interesting. You can look up um, cryogenic frozen foods. I think that's, that's one way to find mm-hmm. it. Right. Interesting. Thank you. I'm looking it up, and there's all kinds of different websites and approaches here, and I think I've seen something like that in a movie about uh, a restaurant restaurant owner in Europe. I can't remember the name of the movie. It was several years ago, and I think he visited a very high-end restaurant in Paris, and they were mm. using liquid nitrogen to, uh, to create. Anyway, very interesting. Thank you, Gray. Always interesting with you. We're talking today with Frank Diana. Do I have that right finally, Frank? Did I say it right, Diana? Actually, it's always Diana, so I was just referencing the <laughs> I've been reprieved. Thank you very much, sir. We're talking about tech, magic, or hype. Can we teach machines to predict? Before we take a break, which we'll do in just a couple of minutes, but we're actually in no hurry here because this is a great conversation. Frank, what's your thought on our topic question today? Is it magic? Is it hype? Is it happening? Can we teach machines to predict? Who are, who, and what are those machines? Why don't you give me a two-minute overview, and then we'll have Gray give a two-minute overview overview and then we'll take a break if we decide to and then we'll do our formal roundtable. So Frank, what's your thought on the topic? 
Well, I mean, first and foremost, I don't think we have a choice. Uh, given mm. the complexity of our world, the, just the massive amounts of data that uh, not just today, but we know are coming, uh, and, and this pace phenomena that everybody's struggling with, it just becomes very difficult for anyone to get a grasp of, of the paths that our future are going to take. And we can guess at certain paths, but I really believe that's the key. The key is how do we start to look at these various scenarios in ways that give us some confidence that they're moving in a certain direction. And there's just so many of them for us to actually analyze. So I, I do think we, we have little choice but to rely on artificial intelligence and machines and the mass of data that's going to accumulate. I'm just not sure in terms of timing. So uh, when do we have enough robustness in those processes to give us the kind of confidence we need in, in predicting? Uh, and can we leverage that in ways that guide our actions? Uh, I think that's going to be the bigger challenge is uh, confidence in action, which I'm seeing a lack of confidence in because of the, all the things we talked about, the speed, the pace, the uncertainty. And, and so I, I will talk about that some more, but I think that, that's where I'm focused. It's how do we drive our next set of actions as leaders globally? Thank you, Frank. Good overview there. Gray Scott, your overview on the question, can we teach machines to predict, or have we already started to do that, and how's it going? Well, as we talked about in the opener, um, we are machines that predict. You know, our brain is a machine that predicts, so we know it's possible. It's just, can we mimic that in the mechanical world, in the artificial intelligence world? That's That's the question. We already know it's possible because we're the primary example of that. So it's just a matter of can we quantify what the brain is doing and can we move further than the human mind? In other words, can we create an intelligence that is way beyond the human uh, brain capability? And, and we know that that's already starting to happen. We're, we're starting to hear rumors of this all over the, all over the planet from research facilities all over, and universities all over the world. And what we're going to talk about later in, in, in this episode is this, uh, I, I sent you uh, the, uh, I think I sent, I don't know if I sent you the link to the article, but it was, there was a, there was a, um, there was an article that came out in the Journal of Frontiers in Human Neuroscience. And it was a remarkable study that showed that an AI that, that watched where the eyes were moving and the pupil dilation in humans, it could predict behaviors and personality traits in these people. And so that's, mm. very, that, that's just one example of the predictive sort of ability that AI is going to have. And the reason is that AI can observe on a deeper, more complex level than any human can. The information is there. It's just that our brains are not equipped and capable of seeing those patterns. The machines have that ability. And the, the, that's growing exponentially. So suddenly, you're going to be standing face-to-face with a machine that can observe you in, in very fine detail, microfacial movements, you know, pupil dilation, your, your body temperature. I mean, humans can't see each other's body temperature right now, but machines can. So imagine if you quantify all of that and put it into a system, it can crunch that data in a matter of milliseconds and then spit out some sort of predictive thing, which your brain is already doing. In other words, are you going to move your hand left? Are you going to move your hand right? You know, what is your personality traits based on your eye movements? We're starting to see that we're, we're, we're getting feedback in this biomechanical uh, feedback loop. And it's, it's, it's going to be remarkable. I think it, it, it sounds like magic. I don't think it's magic. It is magical, but it's not magic. 
Thank you. I'm I'm absolutely fascinated. Let me just make one more sidebar here before we take a break, which we may not even take. Uh, question to both of you. When we see these types of capabilities in fiction, in the movies, we all know we've been seeing quote-unquote futuristic movies for decades and decades. So the question is, we usually see it used for evil or ill-doing. We usually see people who want to take over the world or dominate a particular industry or just do something quote-unquote real really bad as a human being because they want to harness that power, that knowledge, whatever it is they think the machines can do or what they can tell and program the machines to do. Can we see this all for good? Frank, what's your thought on that? How, how do we turn it from the fictitious, wow, somebody built this machine, he's going to do this and put these out of business and take over these 15 countries to we're going to have a better world? Frank, what's your thought? Are we heading in the right direction with all of this? You know, that's one of the most popular questions I get in various forms in terms of whether we're going to uh, enhance society or diminish society as, as these things play out. And obviously there's a chance to do both. Uh, and so the balance required to really move these things in directions that enhance society, I think, is one of the great, grandest world challenges that we're going to face in the next decade. And I think that underscores what we were saying before, the need to understand some of these potential paths so that we can guide them in uh, the right places. I think the artificial intelligence conversations that are going on between the likes of Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and others are all centered there. Right? It's, it's a belief system. You either believe that it's taking us into potentially bad places or you believe that it's going to really enhance society. You know, I don't see a lot of middle ground yet, um, but, but that's, a, that's a major discussion that has to continue to happen. And I know ethics is something you focus on. You and I did a, uh, what do we do? A, uh, you asked me to help you with a roundtable um, introduction yep. or facilitate last year, and it was for, uh, for a, a MOOC for SAP, Open SAP, and we talked about the focus on ethics. Thank you. Gray, love to get your thoughts on this. Where do ethics come in? Well, I mean, I think um, Frank is right. I get this question as well which is, you know, as a futurist, um, as a philosopher, you're always looking for patterns, and um, that is a pattern. I mean, I see it with myself. I get asked this question all the time, and when I talk to other futurists, they report back that they're, they're getting this question all the time as well. So that is a key into what's happening right now. So what, what I think is, you know, where I think this is moving is that the movies have an agenda. They, they're, they're there to, to scare you and sell tickets and all that, but that is not necessarily reality. So the, the truth of where we're moving is that if machines augment our awareness, our consciousness, our self-awareness, um, our sense of self, and I think they will and they are, of course there's going to be a learning period. There, you know, every infant goes through that learning period, and we are still infants in this digital revolution. We are growing up as a species right now. We are, we, are, we are learning to become a fully actualized species. Whatever that means, wherever that's headed, that's where we're moving towards. And technology is going to, I, I've said, this has been my, my catchphrase for the show, uh, Futuristic Now, that the future is a portal inward. And that, that sounds like a very simple statement, but when you really think about it, that is what technology has been doing to us from the very beginning, from the wheel to the to creation of fire, all of that, the discovery of fire, all of that has been a movement into forcing us as a biological entity to advance and grow up. So 
you know, you think of the, the hero's journey, right? That is, a, that is a journey of self-discovery, and that's what we're on right now. Machines are going to, even the most, quote-unquote, evil of the people that live on this planet right now, machines are going to force them to see themselves as the, for what they really are. And some of them will slowly come to terms with the fact that they need to be more introspective. And you're starting to see this with the startups. You know, 10 years ago, they were not concerned with ethics. They were concerned with their A, B, and C rounds. They were, they were concerned with their, where they were going to get money to, 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 to create these startups. Mark Zuckerberg has, you've seen this arch that he's taken where, you know, his original quote of, you know, old people or, or younger people are smarter or older people are dumber. I forget what his quote was, but it was something hmm. really horrific. To now where he's saying he's really concerned about his legacy. And you're starting to see that he's very concerned, even though I think he's made a lot of mistakes, he's very concerned now with what his legacy is going to be. And that is a mirror that he's having to look into. So technology, AI, all the things we're discussing on the show today, that is a mirror. It is a reflection, and it is a portal inward. Thank you, Gray. Very, very interesting. Frank, any comments on what Gray just shared? That's an interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the portal inward. I absolutely agree in terms of the path that we've taken through history, with both in terms of science and technology, and uh, and the reflect self reflection. I agree. You two are terrific together. I'm glad. I'm glad to have the two of you on the show. I think we will take a break, just 90 seconds, so we can regroup and take a look at at our roundtable statements you both send me so generously before the show and decide where we're going to go. So I know it's 31 after, but we all need a break. We need a sip of something, and I'm just drinking water today as usual. Actually, I did cheat and have a decaf, uh, a decaf espresso about an hour ago, but I promise you. I didn't let the caffeine affect me at all. So that's just a secret among the three of us. So we're going to take a break to our listeners. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back 90 seconds while Gray and Frank and I just noodle on the side here and figure out where we're going to go with this. I think it's a fascinating conversation. I hope you're all enjoying it. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Absolutely. Yes, we're back with Frank Diana, Frank Diana at TCS <laughs> and Gray Scott at Futuristic Now. My two favorite, your futurists, I'm just going to come out and say it. Sorry to everybody else. Having a great conversation here talking about can we teach machines to predict? And Gray and Frank each have very interesting perspectives on that. We've already had a great conversation and we're going to continue in the formal part of our show called the Roundtable. Frank sent me the following statements. Frank, I'm going to combine these so you can tackle them. Frank says, first of all, AI enabled prediction, that's artificial intelligence enabled prediction, could fuel the organizational imperative for resilience, relevance, and adaptability. We know that's what companies want to have today. So let's talk about a specific application. IBM Watson dominated humans on the game show Jeopardy. It scanned volumes of data in the blink of an eye. I'll leave it there. And then one more thing, IBM Watson can diagnose cancer better than a human doctor can. Frank, let's talk about IBM Watson. What is Watson up to today? (laughs) <laughs> well, let's take this in a couple of chunks. I mean, the, the first piece of the, the statement around prediction and it fueling the imperative for resilience and relevance and adaptability. I, that is, at the end of the day, you peel back everything else. Organizationally, that's what's required. Resilience, adaptability, and the ability to remain relevant. And what, at the heart of all that is an ability to see the future at some level that, to guide your action. And to me, the only way that we're going to do that in the future is through the use of of machine-enabled uh, AI-supported kinds of techniques, and we've seen we've seen some of the IBM Watson successes in diagnosing cancer. That's an obvious one. You know, the, the Jeopardy challenge I think is relatable to people out there because anybody that watched that program saw, you know, a machine actually in the background scanning volumes of data, which which Gray's referred to a couple times, and in the blink of an eye, you know, respond and, and answer a question. But what people might not have seen or take notice of is that, I don't know if you remember, uh, Watson gave five or six potential answers with a percent mm-hmm. confidence next to each, and then the answer he provided, obviously, or the machine provided, was one with the highest percent confidence. Now, is that, that kind of approach, that ability to get to a place where you have the confidence in, make, in taking an action, I think that's where, in the short term, machines can really start to help leaders in their path forward understanding the potential paths of these scenarios and, and driving confidence in actions. I think that's, that's what's missing. And at least in my conversations with leaders, it's the ability to feel confident about the next action because it's so overwhelming, the amount of data out there, the complexity of our environment, the pace, all those things. And so, you know, the conversation around can machines go there, I, I really hope so because I don't see a path forward without it. Now let's talk about Watson on Jeopardy. That was certainly an interesting time in the game show, and Alex Trebek was uh, the interesting human on the show, as well as the others. So what do you think? Is that that our future as we're going to play with machines as they predict? Just cover this one, and then we'll get Gray in on it. Frank? Yeah, so I was actually involved with some of that IBM software back then when that was happening. So it was very ah. fascinating to see behind the scenes some of what the technology was being positioned to do and how they set all that up. Uh, in the context of playing a game, uh, again, the machine was buzzing in just like the contestants were, and all that was architected. So it's just fascinating to watch. Um, but behind the scenes, it was not connected to the Internet. It was just scanning volumes and volumes of data. And, and if you really think about that, that's amazing that a machine back then, I think this was 2011, uh, I think so, uh, it, it was already doing that kind of thing, right? And, and no human mind... Can, can scale, I mean, Ray's absolutely right. Uh, we are a biological predictive engine, but we can't scale at the level that's required for the things that are coming. Okay, Gray Scott, what do you think about 
what Frank said about IBM Watson. Is IBM Watson going to be the, the I'll say this, the poster child for what we think about <laughs> smart machines that are able to do amazing things in a public venue where there's no hiding behind the veil? What do you think? Well, I think it's a representation of what you're going to see in many forms because people are racing to try to get um, to this type of AI uh, and get it in the hands of the public. Um, so y- you are going to see uh, that form of, of predictive AI and, and, and analytics, data analytics, that is way beyond human scale, as, as Frank was talking about. But I think what Frank said that I think we need to focus on here, which I think is really important and what we're going to see more of, is there's so much data now and we know so much more, or not, let's say not we, the computers and AI know so much more now that they, you almost need the machine to explain to you why it's giving you these predictions because it, sometimes it's counterintuitive, Right. So sometimes what we think we know in, in pattern recognition and how people behave, there are things that are way beyond our scale of thinking that are actually true and can only be seen through the eyes of these you know, artificial intelligence systems that can, that can quantify all of that data and say, I know you think you know traffic patterns in cities, but look at this data. It shows that, this, that there's this counterintuitive action that's happening. And if you would just adjust this slightly, it could change the way cities work. And that's what we're starting to see. I mean, that's, that's just a crude example of, of any form of usage for this in the future. I think CEOs and, and you know, people in, in their own general lives, but especially CEOs are going to have to have these machines explained to them in a way that they can understand why they're making these predictions. Thank you. I'm, I'm thinking while I'm hearing both of you, I'm thinking of pragmatic, practical, everyday things. You talk to somebody and you go to a, a clothing store. A man or a mm-hmm. woman is trying to pick out clothes. Oh, should I buy the black pants or the brown striped ones or the blue dress or the green one? Decision making is so hard. We try to predict in our mind, I think, Gray and Frank, tell me if I'm right or wrong. What will I look like and feel like if I buy that garment? Where will I wear it? How will I put it in my closet? Will it require dry cleaning? Will it break the bank in terms of my budget this month? Will I feel good in it? We are, we humans are so micro-focused, I hope I'm using that correctly, on the minutia. And it doesn't mean that it's unimportant or trivial. Our lives are based on very, very small decisions. So Frank and Gray, let me start with Frank. How will machines, or can they, help us make these decisions faster, more intelligently, more efficiently, so that we spend less time agonizing over these little things and end up with a decision that will make us happier or healthier or more productive or more successful? Frank, do you think that's possible on a personal level? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, these you think about Siri and Alexa and just rudimentary examples of some of this. They, they, they learn about you. Uh, there's several folks out there that believe they'll know more about us than we know about ourselves, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Gray believes that as well. And there's even even stories of somewhere in the future, <laughs> your uh, AI system won't let you vote in the next election cycle because you're too influenced by the rhetoric, and it knows exactly how you should vote, 
right? Or you can't pick your own date because uh, it knows you better than you know yourself. Now, you know, that might be a scary sci-fi kind of scenario, but it, we're already seeing how machines, AI, can get very conversational with you, learn and adjust based on how, how it learns, what it learns. So I completely believe what you just said, and I think we're already there at some level, and I think it's just a matter of degrees in terms of how far we go. Wow. And, Gray, I know you have a comment here in your notes I was going to go to next about personal AI. Why don't you tell us what that is because I found that fascinating. Good segue. Go ahead, Gray. Well, we're touching on the the prediction that I made, um, have made for the last several years, that that eventually all of us are going to have a personal AI that lives in our house, in our in our phone, in our virtual reality glasses or whatever, you know, whatever system is created, hardware system is created, we will have this artificial intelligent relationship that will know us better than we know ourselves and will be able to predict why we're doing things and help explain why we're doing certain things. I mean, think about our personal relationships. Our friends and family do this all the time. They, they mirror us. They say, you do realize that you do this. And mm-hmm. that awareness can only be seen from an outside observer. Um, it takes a really introspective person, a philosopher maybe, to, <laughs> to, to see the world uh, the way it really is and to see yourself in the world the way you really are. And machines can help us do that because they don't have the bias of human feelings to a certain degree. They're just being very analytical. They're, they're saying, you know, you do this because of this, and this is why you're feeling this way right now. And sometimes, now, how accurate is that going to be? I think that there's going to be a learning curve. There are going to be mistakes. But the more that that data gets collected and is shared across systems, you're going to see this exponential shift where conversational, contextual uh, AI is introduced into the world. So right now, Siri is just a command sort of conversation. Do this. Tell me this. Show me this. What I'm talking about is saying, you know, talking to your AI and talking about that trip you took to the beach when you were 14. And it's a very Mm -hmm. intimate sort of contextual narrative story. And through that talking, you're going to develop data sets that are so complex to you, but to the AI, it's going to be very simple. And this is what I was saying earlier. The AI is going to have to have a conversation with you where it says, listen, I know you, you think this is counterintuitive. I'm telling you to do something that you normally wouldn't do, but this is why. And I'll give you a, a personal example. When yes. I, I, I used to be a, a photographer, fashion photographer, and when I left that field, mm. I took a year off. And during that year, I promised myself whatever came next, I was going to do the opposite of what I normally did in my past. And mm. so for a year, I did everything the entire opposite of what I had normally done. And it changed my life. It was an experiment. It was a self-experiment, but it was counterintuitive. I didn't do and behave the way I normally would. And it opened up all of these new avenues and new ways of seeing the world. And that's what I'm saying when I say the future is a portal inward, is that these technologies are not taking us away from ourselves. It's not taking CEOs away from their ability to make decisions. It's giving them a better tool, a deeper introspective tool to show them a better way that is, you know, the world is just so complex now. We almost need that. 
Gray, are people afraid of this? And I'll ask you first and then Frank. And by the way, Gray, in your note to me, you said, personally, I will become your new best friend and maybe your new lover. I'm thinking of the movie mm-hmm. Her with the voice of, oh, yeah. of uh, Scar- Scarlett Johansson uh, being the voice mm-hmm. of her. And, and he was devastated because he found out she had other, quote unquote, L-O-V-E-R-S. She, she was flirting <laughs> equally and intimately equally with intimate equally with other other users. of, And she was just an operating system with a sexy female voice. So are we at mm-hmm. that point? How, how far away are we where you want to go to a movie Saturday night? You just put something amazing on TV and AI is sitting next to you and rubbing your feet. I don't know. <laughs> how is how how is that going to work, Gray? Well, you really need to you need to bail me out on this one, kid. Go ahead. Well, I don't know about rubbing your feet, although that's probably going to be possible <laughs> in the future. But we, we're already <laughs> seeing people marrying their literally marrying their virtual reality girlfriends. That's there are cases around the world that this has already are happened. Are you serious? Oh yes, this is already happening, and so, and we're we're seeing this this uptick in people uh, getting romantically involved with avatars with. AI with digital AI. So it is not, I don't think it's a far-fetched idea to, to assume that we're going to get attached to these things. I mean, listen, if you ever see, if you're ever in a movie theater and you see someone drop their phone on the movie theater floor, mm-hmm. they will get on their hands and knees and crawl on that dirty floor to find that phone. I oh, mean, yeah. it's like you've never seen, people are attached to their phones the way they are attached to their children. And so we're just moving further and further into that deeper, uh, intimate relationship with the hardware and the software. Interesting. I just found an article uh, in Slate from this year, April 30th, and the title of it or the caption is, I judge men based on how they talk to Amazon Echoes Alexa. (laughs) It used to be... (laughs) I I just Googled it. It used to be... That's a great line, Bonnie. Is that great? It used to be, Ed Cortana and Siri, of course, it used to be that a woman was told to judge the personal ethic or integrity of a man based on how he treated the waitstaff at a restaurant. Was he mean and rude Mm -hmm. to the waiter, the server? Did he tip well? Was he cordial? Did he order them around? That would be how he was going to treat her if they ever got together. (laughs) And also how he talked about his mother. That's another one. But now, let me see. A judgment based on, yeah, we got got to go take a look at that one. Frank, any thoughts about this personalization that Gray is talking about? What do you think? Uh, He just provided me with a lot of tweet-worthy content. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that very, very much. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, one of the um, popular videos I use in my presentations is actually uh, Jimmy Fallon uh, scene with uh, Sophia, the, the, the social robot. It's uh, about a five-minute piece where he's actually interacting with the robot. It's really, really funny. But when you lose the, you lose the context and you start to believe that the social robot is human, and you can clearly see how a robot like that, that gets very conversational with you, that can take visual cues from the way you're reacting and adjust accordingly, could be a companion uh, to an elderly uh, couple or uh, you know an elderly yes. person that is very lonely, yeah. right? And so, and those are world challenges that you want to solve. There's nothing wrong with uh, Sophia being a companion to an elderly person, and that's already viable today. So, completely agree. Interesting. Yes, there is another article I found here about uh, it can be. Let's see. Um, uh, let's see, blah, blah, blah. It was about how a digital assistance can help the elderly with loneliness. Yes, absolutely. So, yep, 
Okay. So we're almost at the predictions round, but I don't know if we need a crystal ball because we've been talking about the future all along. So let's use the next two or three minutes to cover a little more territory here. Frank, you say when thinking about machines and predictions, are we really talking about more effective forms of simulation and optimization? And you say there has to be some mechanism to guide leaders towards shaping our future. The machine path could be our only option. You want to put a stake in the ground on that one, Frank? Diana? Yeah, we've circled around this a couple of times in terms of it being the only path. But really, the reason I, I, I focused on simulation and optimization, I mean, we're talking about the broader projections of AI and where we're heading. But in the shorter term, as you think about where some of these things, let's, let's use the autonomous vehicle and where mobility is heading. And the fact that so many leaders are struggling with when and when does it impact my business and my bottom line, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're seeing that, you know, basic simulation and optimization with a lot more data to drive uh, its, its confidence levels is a path towards understanding potentially where some of these things go, on what timeline, what kinds of accelerators or obstacles might emerge that influences direction. Now, those are the kinds of things that I think in the short term, at least if you're in an executive or a government position, those are the kinds of things that I think are very important to help drive our, our thinking in terms of these potential paths. Thank you very much. Gray, thoughts on that? Anything else you want to chime in with? Let me look at your notes, Gray. Anything we didn't cover? Um, yeah, let me read your last statement, Gray. I think this will be a good one. AI of the okay. future will appear to be magical or omniscient, but in reality, they are advanced pattern recognition entities that can see the big picture. We already mentioned this. You say a million years out and a billion miles away. That sounds like the title for one of your futuristic now casts. <laughs> Gray, talk to me. Actually. What do you mean a million years out and a billion miles away? How far away is it really? Well, we're on the cusp of, um, I, well, I, I used to say we're on the cusp of this, but I, I think now we've, we've sort of crossed, crossed the threshold and we're, we're fully into the infancy stage of this and we're starting to see, you know, this thing crawl right now. It's not walking yet, but it is in the crawling stage. Um, we're, we're still trying to figure out what to do with it, what it's going to do to us, um, if it can do the things that we expect it to do, which is starting to be proven to be accurate. You know, what I mentioned a study about the pupil dilation and, and eye movements being able to predict, AI being mm -hmm. able to predict personality behaviors and, um, and your traits. Um, we're, I would say within the next 25 years in that frame, there are going to be things that are going to be so outrageously magical that people it's going to disturb people's paradigm of reality. And we're already, we're already starting to see the beginnings of this now. Um, we're starting to see VR and AR that looks so real that you can't tell the difference between what is real and what's not real. When we talk about simulations, that's interesting. I think that the amount of data being crunched and being relayed back to us and explained to us is going to transform what we, who we are as a species. And, and the example I give a lot of times for this is, imagine, Bonnie, trying to explain to someone in the year 500 AD about mm. microwaves. Just that simple <laughs> thing, microwave. If, there's, there's no context for it because we didn't even have the machines. We didn't have the, we didn't yeah. have the context for the narrative of that. So trying to explain what AI is going to do is, is very similar. It's, it's hard to put into words, but the sensation is in the lexicon. The sensation is in our consciousness. Now, we know something big is coming, 
And putting that into words is really what Frank and I do. Thank you very much. Great. You reminded me of something. Uh, my mom, who passed a little over a year ago, did embrace technology. Even in her 90s, she was using a cell phone a little bit, but she was on the computer. She, she, We got her a Mac, then we got her a PC. She hated the Mac, then she hated the PC more than the Mac, so we got her back on a Mac. But she was using it, and, and her friends, uh, mostly women who were her widows, lived alone, their children would give them computers and they would say, nah, what's that thing? I don't want that on my desk. I don't want that in my house. Leave me alone. And they would give it back. They wouldn't throw it away or throw it out the window, but they would give it back. But my mother was a big proponent of technology. So can you imagine somebody in their 90s being presented with this thing on a desk that you open up and you can see images and even people looking at you with maybe one little cord behind it or a cell phone where you can walk around and have a phone without any wires and talk to people anywhere in the world. Can you imagine the culture shock of the future hitting people right smack in the face in their sense of sensibility, of reality, of possibility? So we've seen, you talk about being in our infancy in the digital revolution. Well, I think we've been in it for for quite a few years now with the believers, with the adopters, with the naysayers, with the, give me a break, I don't want any part of that. I don't want machines running my life. So let's do a quick uh, few future of um, who will understand this, who will adopt this, what people continue to be afraid of, the option, the possibility of teaching machines to predict. Frank, Diana, I'm going to give you two minutes for your prediction. Let's talk about it from a social perspective in terms of people having faith, believing, and even wanting it to happen. Frank, all yours. Go ahead. I'm going to to go right back to the beginning of the episode where I talked about tipping points in human history and and being lucky to be alive to witness something that very few have witnessed. If you think back to the previous tipping points, it it impacted what it meant to be human. And Grace said it, it changes what we are as a human species. And, And fire and language and writing and cities and even at some level the the steam revolution altered what it meant to be human. Um, we're, we're on the path to alter again, and at this point it could be much more transformative than the the, the previous uh, tipping points that we've seen throughout history. And so, from a social perspective, I mean, I think that narrative is missing at some level, uh, and it it is very difficult to comprehend a shift in what it means to be human because in our, in our lifetimes and our parents' lifetimes. We haven't really witnessed that kind of thing. So at the social level, you know, I get a lot of questions around uh, the social unrest that might occur in the next mm-hmm. decade for a lot of reasons, whether it's technology-driven, whether it's inequality-driven, whether capital wins out over labor, all, you know, all those questions that people want to talk about. Um, and they're real questions, real, real issues that have to be addressed. Uh, but I don't think we can understate the kind of impact that we're heading towards uh, in the next uh, decade plus. Thank you. Gray, I've got 60 seconds. I overshot my time here with Frank a little bit. So, Gray, 60-second wrap-up. Go ahead. 30 seconds, actually. All yours, Gray. Well, I think Frank is right, and um, the, the, the shift that is coming is going to be so profound that it's going to shake the foundation of the human species. I mean, forget business, forget technology, forget all of that. This is going to shake us to the foundation of our consciousness. It's going to make us into cosmic beings. It's going to help us understand that there is a bigger picture outside of this planet, outside of our solar system, that we are cosmic people, we are a cosmic species, and that to do the right thing and to have the ability to do the right thing, we're going to have to, to embrace these technologies to help us. Thank you very much. 
Great speaking with both of you. Very, very special gentlemen. Frank, Diana, Deanna, whoever you are, D-I-A-N-A. Frank, thank you so much. You told me you felt like you were in withdrawal because you hadn't been on in a while. Well, you're back, and we'll do it again before the end of the year. Gray Scott, Futuristic Now. Thank you both. Gray, I didn't know you were a fashion photographer, but now I know why you look so great in your clothes, so you were you were in that field. <laughs> thank you very much, and a shout-out to Aaron at World Talk Radio, the business channel. I'm sure he looks great in his clothes, too. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Big news, 2 p.m. Eastern today, Business Channel. I'll be back with a brand new series, Game Changing Retail Leaders, with special guest Robin Lewis from The Robin Report and Shay Jensen at Nordstrom. You don't want to miss that one. See you later. Have a great one. And here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be a game changer right now. Like Gray, like Frank. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.